0: everybody. This is David Avocado-Wolf, and I'm joined today by Dr. Dave Warnerowski. He is an MD trained at Temple Medical School, and he got very interested in longevity research back in the year 2000 due to the passing of his father and then passing of his older brother. Very amazing communicator. When I first talked to Dr. Dave, I was very impressed by his elocution. He's got a degree in English, as I later found out, which preceded his medical degree, and that must have something to do with his ability to communicate very complex ideas in very simple ways. And Dr. Dave is not only an expert in immortality, he's an expert in health. He's an integrative specialist of the old way of doing medicine with the new. So welcome, Dr. Dave.
1: Thanks, David. It's a great pleasure to be here and to speak with you again.
0: Now, Dr. Dave is going to be joining us at our Longevity Now conference, which is coming up September 30th, 2011, till October 2nd, 2011. And if you're going to be hanging out with us one extra day there, October 3rd, 2011, we're going to be doing a master's workshop with myself, Truth Calkins, and master herbalist, Ron Teagarden. So put those days in your calendar, September 30th, 2011, through October 2nd or 3rd, 2011, at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California, just south of Los Angeles. Well, I've been wanting to talk to Dr. Dave again for quite a while. The first conversation I ever had with this man was incredible. He is a very educated, well-spoken individual. And, Dr. Dave, since I got you, what is the latest with your wonderful book, The Immortality Edge and the TA65 Longevity product that you introduced us to.
1: Well, the field—the field of telomeres, telomerase, and uh, TA65, which is a telomerase activator, has really, really uh, continued what I would call nothing short of an explosion uh, in terms of science and in terms of general acceptability. You know, when you first come out with something, no one quite knows what to make of it. And the scientific community is, by nature, a skeptical community. And that's good because, you know, we don't want to start any trends in, in, um, you know, large populations of people without doing due diligence. Since we did the the talk uh, in April at your wonderful conference, and I can't say enough about the Longevity Now conference, David. First of all, thanks for having me back. Second of all, uh, I'm sure you know this, but there is no event on the planet like this. And I've been to a lot of health and wellness and anti-aging conferences. And, uh, folks, if you haven't been to one of David's events, or even if you have, every single one of them gets better. Every single one of them pushes the boundaries the cutting edge of, of science. And uh, you're missing something. I mean, really missing something. So sell the house, sell the car, sell the kids, get there. You really want to be at this at this next conference. And, of course, I've got some surprises for the audience, as usual, David. So telomeres advance more and more than than we could have ever dreamed. An explosion due to the Nobel science, uh, the Nobel Prize that was awarded back in um, 2009. Lots of research, specifically with TA65, a, a leading researcher by the name of Maria Blasco uh, from Spain, has essentially repeated a lot of the studies that were done with telomerase activation before. So let me just recap. You turn on telomerase, it's the only enzyme that you can use to safely lengthen your telomeres, which are your biologic time clocks. You lengthen your biologic time clocks, and good things happen. Now, in people, we can't say that it extends life just yet because it's going to take several decades to really, um, you know, look at that. We need to watch people grow past 80, 90, 100, and so forth to see uh, the impact on their life. We certainly have data that it improves health span. And Maria's study on mice, took TA65 and showed that we could do the same thing with TA65 that we do with other telomerase activators, David, and that is stop the aging process, improve the health of these mice, and uh, see some dramatic changes in the appearance and function and physiology of these mice. Now, mice are not people. But um we've already done the human study and we're already, you know, gathering data on that. It's just gonna take a lot longer. We already know that we've seen improvements in, in uh lots of biologic markers of aging in people. So uh the reason Maria's study was important was because it's the first time TS sixty five was used in mice to actually show that it did the same thing as all the other ways of ter- turning on telomerase that they did. So big study, lots of important stuff. TA65 now squarely accepted by scientific community as a bona fide telomerase activator, as a safe supplement, and as, at the very least, improving the health of, of uh, the subjects that take it, whether it be animals or mice. So uh, lots of stuff. And in terms of, of people, uh, tons of people um, since April and, and continuing onward, have adopted T-65 as part of their daily routine, and, and lots of famous people are now on it. I can't really name names, um, but I'm sure you know some of them. So um, it's really, it's blown up. That's that's the only way to say it.
0: I was uh, just with Reverend Michael Beckwith, who was very much popularized by the movie The Secret. We're in a new movie together called Discover the Gift, and he's been on it for quite a few months, and, and he's, he basically told me the same thing I've been experiencing with the ta 65 which is, a really big change in the core energy that you have. Mm-hmm. I really feel a lot of energy surging through me like I, when I was 16, 17, or 18. And as, as silly as that is, of like, oh, this is a longevity product. I'm 41 now, and now I feel like I'm 16 or 17 or 18. It's really actually happening. And I've been taking the TA65 Astragalus Extract Concentrate since January. So something's mm-hmm. happening, and, and it's really good. But one of the things I found out about you, Dr. Dave, is that. When we got together, we started talking, sharing ideas. You told me that you are a fish oil scientist. You are an amazing researcher in this area, and that was really, really, I I thought, a big part of you, a big part of what you do and your expertise, so that's what I want to get into today. I want to talk to you about DHA and EPA, and DHA of course, is what's found in fish oil as well as EPA. These are the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, for those of you who don't know, and Dr. Dave's going to tell us all about those things. What, are, what exactly is DHA to our audience out there who's listening And EPA, from your perspective, Dr. Dave, and why does the body require these omega-3 fatty acids?
1: Okay. I'm going to only say the long names of these ones. So DHA stands for docosahexaenoic acid. And EPA stands for eicosapentaenoic acid, and I promise I won't say those again. They're going to be EPA and DHA. Um, EPA and DHA are the two most important members of the omega-3 fat class. So we have two essential fat classes, and let's define essential. Essential means you can't live without them, first of all, and it also means, in terms of nutrition and, and diet that you must get them in your diet. Your body can't synthesize them de novo. It can't take bits and pieces of other things and make these. It has to have an omega-3 building block to make either EPA or DHA. And EPA and DHA are the active ingredients in fish oil and other marine lipids. And unfortunately, it seems that they're only found in those specific food groups. Um, There is a plant-based omega-3, which is called ALA, that's alpha-linolenic acid, and that is um, present in a lot of um, non-animal sources and plant sources, and that can be used as a building block to make EPA and DHA. It's not the ideal building block, but it can at least be used. So these omega-3 fats, EPA and DHA, are the most important to the body. They are considered anti-inflammatory fats and they must be gotten from the diet and they cannot be gotten, uh, from any place else in the body. You can't make them. That's the, the summary, if you will, the Reader's Digest version. Omega-6, you should talk about very briefly, is the other sort of the yin and yang. Omega-3 can be your yin and yang depending on what your, your bent is. Um, but omega-6 are the inflammatory, I guess that would make them yang. O- omega-6 are the inflammatory fats, and they are also essential, meaning you need them, and they cannot be uh, gotten anywhere but the diet. However, our diet currently is, uh, our typical Western diet anyway, is very much rife with omega-6, 20 to 31 uh, times the amount of omega-6s as omega-3s. Why do we need them? Well... That's that's a question that could I could probably go on for hours, but I won't. I'll just simply tell you that they are found in every single cell in the body. And they're found primarily in the membranes of the cell. And what a lot of people miss when they talk about membranes of the cell is they assume I'm just talking about cell membranes, which is the outer wall, the thing that isolates the cell from everything else. And that's true. There are omega-3 fats, uh, hopefully lots of them, in that cell membrane but they're also David part of the mitochondrial membrane which is a little powerhouse inside the cell they're also part of the nuclear membrane which is where all of our genetic and epigenetic material is stored so they're absolutely critical structural um, parts of our cell membranes and our cells every cell in the body some cells have more of one kind than the other for instance you can only measure DHA in neural tissue like brain and eye and nerves and that's really led to some some serious mistakes on the part of some really good scientists because they assume that there's only DHA in those membranes and they try to treat conditions with DHA only in uh, point of fact that's not the case and if we have time we'll get into that a little bit later um, but certain cells have more of one kind than the other generally speaking and again this is a big generalization but it serves us well generally speaking EPA is a biochemical messenger. It's the one that goes out and tells other cells and and other chemicals to do things in the body. And again, it primarily functions as an anti-inflammatory signal. So when EPA is needed, it's released from the cell membrane as what's called an eicosanoid, and it goes out and it it blunts the inflammatory response. Uh, DHA, in general, is a more structural part. It's usually the thing that helps glue that membrane together and helps give that membrane its fluidity and helps that membrane pass things through that need to get through. If there's an imbalance, if there's too much of the omega-6s in the cell membrane and not enough of the omega-3s, the membranes become stiff, And dysfunctional from the standpoint of the outside cell membrane that that means that there's poor communication with the outside world I'm sure you've read and and many of your uh, listeners have read that the Bruce Lipton's wonderful book the biology of belief where he talks about membrane receptors and how the cell uh, membrane is is really the brain of the cell and it gets things in from the outside and and starts the stuff cooking inside that needs to happen for the cell to respond to these outside influences and um, In point of fact, omega-3s are are very much essential in that process. If you have a poor omega-3 level in your cell membranes, your cell does not function well, it cannot interact with its environment very well, and it cannot pass uh, other information from the outside of the cell to the inside of the cell. And that includes things like insulin, Uh, Another one that people love to talk about these days is vitamin D. Well, guess what? If you don't have enough omega-3 in your cellular membrane, you can take all the vitamin D you want, you can get your blood levels up, and you won't have an effective response because the vitamin D receptor won't pass effectively through the cell membrane and get inside the cell where it needs to do its work. So there's a lot of things happening if you have an imbalance in your omega-3s. But to sum it up, structural functions... Help the cells pass things in and out of the cell, in and out of the mitochondria, in and out of the nucleus, and if you're going to affect uh, your genetics and you know, we talked about this um, to some degree at the Longevity Now Conference, this concept of epigenetics, David, where the environment and that means you know how much you sleep, how much you exercise, what you eat, what toxins you're exposed to, how these affect your genetic material is much more important than your actual genetic material itself presuming you've made it past uh, 21 years. So for most of us, uh, it's epigenetics that determines our fate, not so much genetics. Well, if you're going to have a positive uh, epigenetic response to any of these vitamins you're taking, all this good nutrition that, that your folks are taking, the raw food, vegan diets, vegetarian diets, in order to get those nutrients to affect the cell in the way that they are supposed to, they got to get inside. And if they can't get through the membrane, or if they can't effectively transmit their signals from the inside, or if they cannot be taken into the cell properly, which happens in some cases, they can't do anything. So um, that's why they're so important. They're They're what we would call protein. They're everywhere, and they pretty much do everything. I don't think there's a biochemical reaction in the body that you could point to and say it doesn't have something to do with omega-3 fats, EPA, and DHA.
0: Let's drop the bomb, Dr. Dave. You you apparently did a test on a group of folks at the last Longevity Now conference on their omega-6 and omega-3 levels. Can you tell us about the results of that test and what it means? I
1: can, Um, and um, I want to preface this by saying it's not an attack on on any type of dietary practice. Um, I understand people's reasons for um, adopting nutritional behaviors. I understand that there are a lot of moral, spiritual, and ethical concerns in how people eat, and I respect that immensely, so please, I'm not trying to change anybody's practices. I'm just trying to give people the information that is important for them to stay healthy and to live as long as possible. Um, We're actually in the process of collating even more of that data, and I'll have that formalized for your conference. Um, But one of the concerns about plant-based diets is that plant-based diets do not contain uh, a lot of, well, they don't really contain any EPA or DHA. They contain very, very little uh, measurable, that's for sure. Some people have found ways of uh, taking plant-based supplements like algae-based uh, supplements that may uh, boost the levels a little bit, but these tend to be quite ineffective uh, compared to what you really, really need. And what we found and, and what's been suggested in the literature is that plant-based diets do not really contain enough of these essential omega-3s, EPA and DHA, Um, for people to remain in optimum health. And the suggestion was put forth in one of the nutrition and food journals that this puts uh, raw food vegans and vegetarians and plant-based diet people at risk for heart disease. Now, let me clarify that statement. Um, At risk for heart disease compared to what? Well, certainly, uh, if you eat a plant-based diet, you're still going to have less risk for heart disease than somebody who eats a typical Western diet, uh, which is calorie overloaded, nutritionally poor, and lots of bad fats, omega-6 fats, trans fats, saturated fats. So I don't want to give the impression that, that someone adopting a plant-based diet is really just a heart attack waiting to happen. That's absolutely false, still at a lower risk than the general population, which, by the way, in this country is about 28% chance of heart disease. So about one in four people is considered, quote-unquote, normal. Now, we won't get into what I think of that definition of normal, but um, that's what we, uh, we as an allopathic medical doctors... Except as uh, normal. This is what we would expect. One out of four people is going to get a heart attack or heart disease of some sort. It's clearly, the risk in your population is less. However, um, because of the lack of these EPA and DHA omega-3s, what we've been able to document in your group specifically from that conference was an abysmally low omega-3 fatty acid level, somewhere around 20 to 24 percent, and what we're really looking for is about 75 Percent omega-3 in the red blood cell membranes, so um, it, it panned out to be absolutely true. You know, you know how I am, David. I like to test everything. Just because I read it in the literature doesn't mean I necessarily accept it. Um, so I really wanted to test this philosophy, this theory, if you will. And and the Longevity Now group turned out to be a really good group to test. And subsequently, uh, we've done some additional testing on. My fish oil-based population, people who are taking fish oil, obviously they're significantly higher. Many of them have achieved that level. Um, and uh, I, I just think it's so critical to have these omega-3 fatty acids in, in your body for the reasons I just mentioned. And also, if you want to look at disease, disease prevention, those kinds of things, uh, we have to use those terms very, very carefully when we're talking about supplement. So I won't say anything about it, but anyone who wants to do any research can take a look at heart disease, Alzheimer's, cancer, arthritis, um skin diseases, autoimmune diseases, diabetes, obesity, and a number of other diseases which we consider quote unquote part of normal aging and see that a high omega three EPA DHA or well just simply call fish oil level because that's what most people understand it as a high fish oil level in the bloodstream prevents most of that and in population based studies of um, populations that eat a lot of omega-3s, they've also found pretty much the same thing. So what we found, David, was that uh, it's true, Um, plant-based diets are really, really lacking in the omega-3s and I think this is a serious health concern. One final thing I'm going to say is that um, it's a little bit skewed in terms of just isolating omega-3s as the single only important thing in inflammation. There are many wonderful polyphenols, wonderful antioxidants that are part of the fruit and vegetable plant-based diets that mitigate to some degree the lack of omega-3s. But if you want to take omega-3 and isolate it as a risk factor, you can draw a pretty much straight line for heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, etc. That's inversely proportional. The risk of, is, is, uh, is actually proportional to the lack of omega-3s and the level of omega-6s. So once again, this ratio, too much omega-6s, too little omega-3s seems to lead to not only diseases, but also accelerated aging in our population. So I'll step off my soapbox there, but uh, uh, it was a dramatic finding, and it confirmed what what the literature suggested.
0: Okay, so if we're, let's say we're eating a plant-based diet, and I'm eating pumpkin seeds, for example, which are rich in omega six. I'm taking in all different kinds of nuts and seeds, which are pretty much also rich in omega-6, with occasionally a little bit of omega-3 sprinkled in. Then eventually it leads down to an imbalance of the omega-3. I don't have enough omega-3, so I need to start looking for sources of omega-3. In in your opinion, you're you're obviously a fish oil scientist. What are the best sources of omega-3? Like, is it cod liver oil? Is it salmon? Is it trout? Can you eat fish and get enough omega-3 to really give the power that you're looking for? What's the simplest way to get these omega-3s into our diet?
1: Well, the, the simplest way is to take a fish oil supplement for reasons I, I may get a chance to go into here, but I'll certainly go into it at the conference. Um, there are different forms of omega threes. There's um, what are known as triglycerides, uh, triglyceride based fish oils. There's ethyl esters, and then, then there's um, phospholipid. Almost all the studies have been done with an ethyl ester fish oil, and that is the type that I use. That's also the type that the, uh, for better or worse, that's the type that the pharmaceutical industry has chosen to use. And I think um, because of the wealth of studies, um, that this is the reason. Um, this is the form that's mostly studied. So an ethyl ester molecularly distilled ultra pure fish oil is what we really want to get into people as the simplest easiest way to boost um, their uh, fish oil levels and if they're, if they're deficient uh, in EPA and DHA this is the fastest way to get them up. So that's where I start. Now in, in, is is there other ways to get it? Well if you look at just omega-3s and and this is really where the food industry plays a kind of a sneaky game um, omega-3s includes the 18 carbon um, plant-based the long chain fatty acids are considered 20 and 22 carbon that's epa and dha 18 carbon are considered shorter chain and they have to be converted in the human body and david if you look at the biochemical pathways that these essential fats go through There's a big, honking, glowing neon sign at the bottom of this biochemical pathway that flashes EPA, DHA, EPA, DHA. This is what the body wants. This is what the body uses. It doesn't mean that the ALA, the 18-carbon plant-based form, is utterly useless, but it's clearly a lot less bioactive. So that flashing neon sign represents the, the body's biochemical push, if you will, to get to those two fatty acids. And in point, those two are far more active biochemically than any other uh, format. So if you eat a lot of plant-based omega-3s, the 18 carbon, you have a chance at converting some of them. About 5% uh, is what what is commonly accepted uh, through the studies. About 5%. So for every 100 grams of plant-based omega-3, you're going to get about 5 grams of of uh, EPA, DHA conversion if your body converts it normally. And that, by the way, um, I, I like to shoot for six. So let's say if you're a plant-based person, you need to get about 125 grams of omega-3s. And the other thing that you need to do is you need to understand that 25% of the population has deficiencies in about four different pathways. Taken cumulatively, that means that a quarter of the population cannot effectively convert as much as 5% of the plant-based omega-3s as they need to get to EPA and DHA. So there's a lot of people out there um, who who can't even convert 5%. And then finally, uh, the other part of the problem is, is if you don't get enough omega-3 EPA, DHA in your diet, specifically in this case, EPA, um, you cannot... Blunt the omega-6 pathways, these inflammatory pathways that you uh, need. So um, without enough omega-3 fatty acids, the omega-6s rule and you get an inflammatory response. And that's the other part of the problem. And as you mentioned, a lot of these wonderful sources of short-chain omega-3s like uh, walnuts and, and other nuts specifically are also pretty well loaded with omega-6. So if you don't look at the nutritional content if you don't look at both sides of the fatty acid coin you miss the point. You may be getting a lot of short chain omega 3s you may be able to convert some of them but you're also getting a lot of omega 6. Flaxseed it turns out especially um, the oil of flax um, tends to be pretty concentrated in omega 3 the short chain. So uh for your audience who refuses to take any kind of animal based stuff or fish based stuff uh I think you know flaxseed is a good choice. But again, most of everything else you're taking is tilted towards Omega-6 An Apple. Five times as much Omega-6 as Omega-3. Uh, the avocado, I think I mentioned at your, um, your conference uh three grams of omega six one point two grams of omega three so uh you're you 're stacking the odds um, on that on that diet um, so it 's very very difficult. Can you eat enough fish if you just des- decide to go natural and just eat fish uh, If you adopt an Eskimo diet, you can do that you can uh, get you know four to six uh, uh, filet of uh, salmon or sardine or um, mackerel type of uh, fish, which are really good. I don't like cod because it's got a little bit too much vitamin A, um, and it's also usually not purified, and cod is a bottom feeder. So I, I you know suggest that if people want to do it with fish, they get line caught, ocean caught, you know, not farmed fish. Because the farm fish is fed the same corn meal that our, that our our beef is fed. And that's really what skews the, the balance of the omega fats in the wrong direction, is that they're farm-fed. So uh, if you're going to do it with fish, uh, be aware that you're going to need to eat an awful lot of it. And also be extremely aware that you may get mercury toxic. Now, there's a couple famous cases. Jeremy Piven is one. Daphne Zuniga, another. They went on. Uh, the diet recommended by a certain well-known dermatologist, which uh, this person refused to, to um, talk about fish oil and said, no, you can do it with salmon. And these people got uh, mercury toxic. So that's the risk. If you're going to eat fish, especially oily fish, uh, you're you're going to be facing mercury toxicity. And that's true whether it's line-caught or farmed. It doesn't matter. So uh, I, you know, that, to me, all arrows point to a fish oil supplementation. You can control it. You can concentrate it. You can purify it, and then you can measure it. And to me, that's, that's a cat's out.
0: Now, th- there are other sources of omega-3 out there, you know, besides, say, flax or hemp or chia. One of them is clary sage oil. Real mm-hmm. quick, Dr. Dave, have you ever looked into clary sage oil? A friend of mine sent me a bunch of data on that, and I know there's somebody listening right now who's been taking clary sage ALA type of oil, and uh, apparently that's a little bit more stable, better quality than most of the omega threes, plant-based that people take. Any Anything to say on that?
1: Um, I think, you know, again, it's a great source of the short-chain 18-carbon um, ALA. Um, and, you know, ALA needs to be studied a little bit more. It, it, it isn't studied to the same degree uh, as EPA and DHA is. And in the studies that, that they've done, um, there tends to be a a tendency in the scientific literature to lump all omega-3s together again ALA is not EPA and DHA um it's it's a um part of the pathway so um but if you are looking to do it that way um I think it's a, a reasonably good choice again the source of ALA is to me not as important as the biochemical pathway it's great that you have a pure source it's great that you have a stable source that's essential But ultimately, um, two things. Number one, your bio, your body has a biochemical pathway that it uses independent of where you get that from. And number two, if you're going to do that, and this is true of fish oil too, (laughs) what it's so important. I suggest you measure it. That's I think you know we use the ideal omega test, the little finger stick because it's simple and quick and easy. Um, And and really, uh, this is so important that that going on. Going into this blind, so to speak, not knowing where you stand or what the effects of your therapy are uh, is a mistake, in my opinion, if you're really going for optimum health and optimum longevity. So no matter what choice you make, I would just say measure it and understand the biochemistry. You're going to have to take a lot of ALA. You're going to have to get a lot of it to, to effectively convert it, and you're going to have to hope that you're not one of those 25% with a deficiency, and then you're going to have to measure it. Now, all that is true official too. So I don't want to give the impression that you just fire and forget with fish oil. Uh, it applies to any source of omega-3.
0: All right. For everybody who's listening right now, this, I'm David Wolf. I'm here with Dr. Dave Ornowski. We are talking about DHA and EPA and the importance of fats in our diet. Dr. Dave is going to be speaking at our Longevity Now conference September 30th through October 2nd and 3rd. If you want to stay that extra day on the 3rd. We're going to be having a master's workshop at the Longevity Now conference room. We're going to be hosting the event at the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California, just south of Los Angeles. All the information, of course, is on the longevitynowconference.com website, and we hope to see you there, and I'm sure Dr. Dave hopes to see you there so he can tell you about the great innovations he's found out in his research on fish oil. Now, we're probably going to hear a lot of folks who want to know if I was if I was to have a chat out right now. Who, a lot of folks I'm sure want to know about algae oil and krill oil as compared to fish oil. Doctor Dave, what's your take?
1: Um, well, let me start with algae oil first because um, I think that in your audience specifically, you know, the people who are looking to remain um, non-animal based are likely to um, to take an algae based product if they're going to take a supplement. The problem with the algae oil um, is that it is way overrepresented by DHA. Um, Again, you need both EPA and DHA. There's a bunch of studies out there that have come out in the past year that demonstrate this. Um, and I'm just going to paraphrase, fish oil, no good for Alzheimer's, fish oil, no good for depression, fish oil, no good for whatever. And point of fact, if you look at these studies, um, and this, there was a prostate cancer study, of you know, fish oil may increase prostate cancer risk. Now, some of this stuff is just statistical nonsense, okay, that you have to be able to read studies. And, and when they do press releases on the Internet, People know that the majority of folks out there aren't going to read the whole study, and even if they did, they wouldn't know how to interpret the, the statistical machinations. That's my job. That's what I do, and I can tell you that there's a lot of statistical machinations out there that don't mean anything. However, one of the common things that happens, and this applies to algae uh, because it's primarily DHA, is there's a tendency these days to use one component specifically DHA to treat something. This is a mistake. Um, This is not how Mother Nature supplies it. Uh, Mother Nature doesn't have any single food that I'm aware of that doesn't have a mix of both EPA and DHA that's only DHA. So when you isolate that, you, you make a mistake. And I bring this up because algal fish oil, or excuse me, algal EPA, DHA, is usually about 400 milligrams DHA and about 20 milligrams EPA. The other misconception that's out there is, oh, well, that's okay. You can just back-convert the DHA to EPA. That's not true. Uh, that is a very, very small amount of the EPA in the body is made by back-conversion of DHA. Uh, the biochemical pathways that are needed to take the 20-carbon EPA and turn it into the 22-carbon DHA are very complex, and they actually involve oxidation. How about that, David? Oxidation is a good thing, rather than a bad thing. So, um, you know, this is this gets really complicated scientifically. Um, stuff for people like me that really enjoy it. But just understand that it's it's not as simple as just interconverting the two of them. Once you make DHA, you've really made the final arbiter, if you will, and it's a structural component primarily. It's very very difficult to convert it back to EPA. So. Um, There are plenty of blogs on the Internet that say, um, oh, well, just don't worry about it, the DHA will back-convert. But if you look at the biochemical pathway, it's shown as a dotted line, and that means it's a theoretical conversion. It's almost immeasurable. This, by the way, is when uh, why when scientists look at the brain, they only see DHA because all the EPA has been oxidized into DHA and elongated. So, um, again, it's a mistake to, to rely on DHA. I think it's a mistake to just rely on algal. Because what you'll have is you'll have a high DHA content and you won't have a high EPA content. Now I don't think there's been a good study done to prove what that means in the body, um, but I think inherently when you're out of balance with a with a nutrient, that's a problem. Normally you want more EPA, um, three to one or at least uh, four to one, three to one, somewhere in that ratio. Uh, three to two is also acceptable, but you want more EPA than DHA. I should just mention also yeast because a lot of people have looked at that. Uh, yeast is heavy on EPA and a little bit lower on DHA, but the important thing to understand about the yeast technology is this is a genetically modified organism. And for all of you out there who are Monsanto fans, I'll just tell you Monsanto has pretty much bought up that technology. So I'm not going to go really deeply into that. I think people understand what that means. So theoretically, it's possible to get balanced EPA and DHA by taking a yeast GMO'd product. And a algal derived product, mixing them together, and then you would have a reasonably good ratio derived from non-animal sources. Um, you mentioned krill. Krill is kind of an alternative form. It is a marine-based um, animal, if you will. It contains EPA and DHA in a smaller amount than fish oil does. And um, it for someone who, for whatever reason, doesn't want to take uh, fish oil. I suppose it's a reasonable alternative, but um, I take a lot of umbrage with a lot of the marketing stuff out there that they do. Um, I think I showed at your conference the purity data between krill and my fish hole. There's a dramatic, dramatic uh, difference in the purity. This is exactly the opposite of what they say. They say it's clean because it's a tiny little organism. What they leave out is you have to take a couple million of those tiny little organisms and squeeze them and get them into a krill capsule. So... Uh, a little times a lot is still a lot and that's what we found in the pollution uh, krill is a biologically sensitive organism or I should say um, biospherically sensitive uh, there's a lot of articles now coming out about krill population dropping uh, primarily due to global warming but also due to over harvesting and how it's affecting the, uh, the downstream uh, penguins whales um, and uh, walruses that are primarily eating it there's no population based studies on krill because there's no population that eats krill it's not part of the human food chain um, the phospholipid uh, information they're releasing is suspect at best. And uh, in point of fact, the last study that was done by the Krill people, uh, Acrobiomarine, showed an increase in omega-6 fatty acids in the membranes as well as omega-3s, and they couldn't explain it. So there's a lot of questions I have about Krill. I'm not a big Krill fan. I think it's uh, really too much marketing. It needs to be really um, fleshed out first. Uh, before we make uh, any real comparisons. And in terms of volumes of studies, uh, there's about 30 studies on krill. Uh, 28 of them at last count were funded by uh, one of the two major krill manufacturers. Uh, there's 12,000 studies on fish oil. And most of them, by the way, are on the ethyl ester or the triglyceride form of fish oil. Uh, generally speaking, in the past 10 years, it's been ethyl ester. So there's a lot of studies on uh, the ethyl, ethyl ester format of fish oil.
0: Okay, let me ask you this about about fish oil, because obviously fish oil has to come from a fish. What? How do you see the future of the fish industry as we go forward with, for example, cod being fished out of the ocean? Can that happen? Let's say we had to switch to another fish. Is it going to go to herring oil? Is it going to go to some other fish? Talk to us about that part of it, and then also the, the toxicity factor, like of mercury, that's being distilled out through the purification process that you that you do, right? That's what it means to be pharmaceutical-grade. So let's talk about how it's purified.
1: Sure. Um, first of all, the, the ecological position of, of fish in the world. Obviously, um, as part of the biosphere, we are acutely aware that fish is being um, overfished. And actually, this has been going on. Probably in parts of Europe for, um, several centuries. Um I have relatives in Iceland. I know you're a frequent visitor to Iceland and you understand the uh, impact of the fishing on the economy up there. Um and their constant battle with uh, their neighbors, specifically the UK, over, over, uh, you know, territories and, uh, fishing, which uh, assumes humorous proportions at some times, but it's very, very serious for their livelihood. So, Uh, Here's what I think. I think that we've been aware of the the fish situation for a long, long time. I think fish husbandry has probably advanced beyond most of the other marine life husbandry. Um, They are closing krill fisheries now, so there is some attempt to limit the harvest of krill because of its effect on the biosphere. But I think that uh, because we're aware of what's going on with fish, and I think that the aquatic industry, the, the aquaculture industry, if you will, is beginning to really, really catch up with the uh, the deficits in fish. And I think it's entirely possible that within the next 20 years um, there won't be a fish crisis because we'll, we've really, really put a lot of money and time into a husbandry of, of fish. Um, the fish we use for our, um, our fish oil is now mackerel. Uh, it's a smaller fish. It does not have a lot of inherent toxicity, but, of course, we'll talk about removing that toxicity later. It is line-caught. It's not, uh, It's not um, or or net-caught, I should say. It's not uh, farmed in any way, shape, or form. And what happens is after you process the oil, we, we subject it to a process of what's known as molecular distillation. And we actually use a subgroup of molecular distillation, David. It's called supercritical liquid chromatography i 'll just call it molecular distillation. neither of those are e- easy to say, but it 's a form of molecular distillation it 's very clean ecologically uh it 's also low temperature, so you don 't risk oxidation. I should point out for anybody listening oxidation's been a big you know buzzword a lot of fish oil gets oxidized. We test our fish oil for oxidation, we consistently maintain a a very low level of oxidation, almost immeasurable and um it really is not a function of the distillation process. Fish oil does not begin to oxidize till you hit about 250 degrees Fahrenheit. Even with standard molecular distillation, you don't get above 185. And with the supercritical liquid chromatography, you actually stay well below that. So we use the most ecologically friendly form. We use the lowest heat form. We measure oxidation levels, and we remove just about well we i shouldn't say just about we remove every detectable particle of mercury um, we have um, below way below the limits even of prop 65 which is the california limit which is four times higher than the national limit if you will we have way below those limits on any toxins you ju- you can't measure them uh, there's no arsenic no mercury no cadmium no lead uh poly uh, chlorides, polybiphenyls um furans dioxins these are these are immeasurably small and I've shown that, uh, that independent lab test in front of, uh, your audience as well. So, uh, it's part of a quality assurance process. But the reason I'm so, so, um, hard on that and, and interested in that is because I take my own fish oil. And there's not any study out there that can say, okay, if you take enough, uh, omega-3 fish oil or any other oil, for instance, whether it's krill or, et cetera, Um, there's not a study out there that shows what happens to people over 20, 30, 40 years of taking big doses in terms of mercury toxicity. So I want the absolute minimum of any toxin, especially mercury, since your body can't get rid of it. I want the absolute minimum. And when zero is pretty low, (laughs) it's about as low as you can get. So I can safely give this to my family and friends and loved ones and attach my name to it and sell it out there on the Internet and not worry that 20 or 30 years from now, I'll be causing the very thing that I, that I'm trying to fight, and that's advanced, uh, advanced aging, accelerated aging. Uh, you mentioned chia and salva, again, those are short chain car, uh, 18 carbons, so all that we said applies about those as well. I think it's, uh, one thing I will say about the plant-based stuff is it's, it's probably cleaner inherently, uh, cause it's not in the ocean, the oceans are dirty. Uh, I mentioned cod before as well, bottom feeder, uh, I don't think they purify it very well, I haven't seen that data. Uh, and you run the risk of uh, high doses of vitamin A with COD. So uh, I'm really happy with with the choices we've made uh, over the past 10 years. Uh, We continue to refine that, and uh, I may have a little surprise for you at the conference. I sure hope so. So that ought to be giving everybody an incentive to show up.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for your time. And for everybody listening, that's been Dr. Dave Ornowski telling us about fish oil, DHA, EPA, and the best sources of those very vital anti-inflammatory nutrients. He's going to be joining us at the Longevity Now conference September 30th, 2011, to October 2nd or 3rd, 2011. Again, on that Monday, October 3rd, we're going to be having a great master's workshop with myself, Truth Calkins, and Ron Teagarden. Now, Dr. Dave is also going to be presenting about everything you've just heard here in more depth with lots of imagery pictures, studies, and we're going to get into at the conference some of the cofactors in secondary conditions and nutrients that we require for maximum absorption of these beneficial marine oils. Thanks so much, Dr. Dave. Thanks to everybody who's listening. I'm David Avocado Wolf, and I am wishing you the best day ever.